Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the stories that we should be focused on and aren't. So the past week has been pretty typical in our news cycle of the last year. We are all in journalism obsessed with the impeachment process, with what now appears to be an ongoing war between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, with the shape of the campaign. And this is the way it's been now for the last couple of years, with so much of the news cycle being driven by national politics and specifically so much of the news cycle being driven by Donald Trump. What that means, though, is that there are a lot of stories that are important and that we should be focused on and are falling by the wayside. And this keeps happening again and again and again. And we need to understand why that is and what we can do about it to sort of approach it differently. So I'm joined today by three journalists who have focused on these stories that often are missed, or at least that are missed when a swarm of reporters focus on it and then move on. And I sort of want to hear from them about how we might do better in handling these stories. So let's begin with David Bagnow from CBS. David is the lead national correspondent for CBS This Morning and an anchor for CBS News Radio's Reporters Network and has become the sort of go-to reporter for a lot of people on issues having to do with Puerto Rico. David, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for being here. So when did you first go to Puerto Rico? When did you, How did your reporting there start? It started uh, two days before Hurricane Maria made landfall in September of 2017. I would say 80% of what I've done professionally over the last two years has revolved around Puerto Rico. Um, and of that 80%, I would say close to the majority of it uh, has been Puerto Rico related in my personal time. What does that mean? Uh, it means that there has been a bit of a struggle, and it's not to throw anyone under the bus, but it means that it, there's been a bit of a struggle professionally to get it on television as much as I think it should be on television. Uh-huh. Um, and one thing I am very grateful for uh, is social media. It's very simple. It's a story that needs to be told. There's still a whole lot that needs to be done. And and I'm going to ask everybody this because I'm curious whether there are threads that cross these stories. But what do you think is the main reason why the attention span on Puerto Rico seems to be so limited? Even though we have millions of Puerto Ricans who live here in the States, it's, it's just far enough away to where it doesn't feel like the U.S. Right. But they are U.S. citizens. Right. They pay taxes. They can come to the States and travel anywhere they want. And that sounds so obvious. I had covered Hurricane Harvey and Irma before Maria. That was that, that summer of three hurricanes back to back. And, you know, the resources arrived in Harvey and they arrived in Irma. And, and they, you know, largely because you could bring resources in from other states. You can't do that for an island, right? What you have is what you get. And after it's over, because Maria sort of wiped out everything, you couldn't get things in quickly and the response was slow. Mm. But at the end of the day, I remember walking around the island going, this is just not okay. And it's not because I came in sort of, you know, wanting to be their voice or something, but it was just because it was the same thing that if it would have happened in Florida or Texas, people would have raised hell and high water and had people's heads on platters, so to speak. All right, let's come back to this. Um, Tally Woodward is the deputy editor of The Trace, um, where she's been since 2018. Before that, she was a colleague um, at Columbia. Um, Hello. Hi. So it strikes me that the the gun violence story is sort of similar. I mean, it's sort of a, it's sort of similar to the, this hurricane coverage where you get like 
every time there's a, a mass shooting, there is this ton of attention and focus, and then it dissipates. Is that your, right. do you think yeah. it's a fair comparison? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there, there's so much sort of everyday, almost routine gun violence in our country. And I think um, to some extent, we've accepted that that's just the way it is in the United States. Um, it's not the way it is in other countries, but it is the way that it, 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 it's perceived to be here. Um, and it's only the most unusual death, not just, you know, any mass shooting, but the sort of most unusual ones that really take over um, the news for a few days. But then there's sort of like a, a standard set of stories that happen. You know, who is the shooter? Um, where did he? And it usually is a he tain his weapon or weapons. And there's sort of a set of, of stories that quickly follow and, and then everyone moves on. And there's such frustration with this moving on. I mean, every time there's one of these, at least on Twitter, there's like this kind of outrage about I can't I can't believe we're doing this again. I can't believe we're going through this again. I mean, even elected officials are like, oh, I can't believe we're 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 back where we are. What do you attribute the this sort of hot and cold media attention of this too. I mean, in, in David's case, there was a there was a geographical element, which is Puerto Rico is not mm-hmm. right here. Yeah. That I mean, yeah. and what's weird about the lack of the, the the approach to the gun coverage is it's everywhere, and it's in every community, and it's in every state, and still, you despite that, you still yeah. get this distance. Yeah. Part of it is that that guns are actually a very complicated subject. The the laws are quite complicated. Things get very technical very quickly, and I think it actually requires some expertise to be able to cover it well. Um, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of news organizations, particularly with shrinking staff. I mean, we have a newsroom where the you know only newsroom devoted to covering gun violence, um, and we have a staff of 15. And I'm not sure that there are 15 you know journalists outside of the trace who focus full time. On yeah. guns and gun violence. I mean, yeah. I can think of a couple. There's Lois Beckett at The Guardian, and um, you know, there's there's some very very good reporters out there elsewhere um, who write about guns and gun violence. But it's hard to get situated on this beat adequately quickly. Another thing that I think is a problem is just you know, all all of even before Trump, you know, all of the news media focused so much on what was happening in Washington, and there really just hasn't been much movement in Washington on on gun laws in a long time. And I think, unfortunately, that obscures a lot of real movement that has happened on the state level and on on local levels. I mean, there have been, I think, 17 states that have passed a red flag, some sort of red flag law or extreme risk protection order, you know, the law that allows a judge, someone to go to a judge and say, we need to remove guns from this person because they pose a risk to themselves or to someone else. 17 states have, have passed those laws since Parkland. So that's actually quite a lot of movement. But you wouldn't really get that sense from reading, you know, most daily papers. Yeah, this point that you made about how it's complicated and the laws are complex. And I mean, it just strikes me that I mean, it's in a way it's the same about you know, it's the same with the Puerto Rico story or with the, or with climate coverage, for instance, which there's an yeah, excuse. Yeah, climate is a good analogy. But there's an excuse baked in that, oh, it's really complex and it's scientific and there's like numbers, which seems to be to mm-hmm. me to be kind of a cop out. I mean, isn't isn't what journalism is in part sort of taking complex issues and finding ways to make people care about them? Right. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's really important. But I do think it, it requires, you know, news organizations to decide they're really going to let people spend time getting to understand the issue and, and understanding all of the different aspects. I think there's like a move towards 
you know, even more generalist in the newsroom. Yeah. So I'll come back to you. And I mean, one of the things that we want to think through as we think through this is like, so how what, what can people do differently? Like how can what's what's what, what are practical things that newsrooms can do? Stephen Greenhouse was a reporter for The New York Times for 31 years, much of it as a labor and workplace reporter. He's recently written a book about labor called Beaten Down, Worked Up, The Past, Present, and Future of American Labor. And Stephen, the same issues seem to apply here, where you have strikes, where you have stuff that will happen that will draw people closely to focus on this. And then it just seems like the bigger story around Americans feeling like disconnected or powerless in the workplace seemed to sort of fade away. First, nice to be here, Kyle. Second... You know, as you said, you know, Donald Trump takes up a ton of attention, and as a result, the news media don't focus on a whole lot of other important stories like Puerto Rico and gun violence. And the issue that I've, you know, spent two decades writing about working workers in America. And, you know, the president will tweet that, you know, he's made America great again, that, that you know, the economy has never been so great. But there are a lot of stories about, you know, workers and, and how they're doing and that they're not doing very well that you know, hardly being covered at all. You know, the you know the Federal Reserve found that you know one in five American adults say they don't uh, make enough money to make you know to pay the current month's bill. One in four skip uh, needed medical appointments uh, last year because they couldn't afford it. Forty percent of adults say that they can't pay an unexpected $400 bill. So you know, th- there's a lot that's going on in the economy while the stock market's doing great. And wages are finally inching up. That just, you know, tens of millions of American workers and families still are struggling, you know, month after month, week, week after week. And that's one of the biggest stories in America, I submit. But it's not getting a lot of coverage. And, and we, you know, what's been getting coverage about workers is Donald Trump saying, I have this great trade deal with China. I have this great trade deal with Mexico. And that's, you know, lead story in the papers. And they're not as great as Trump says. And meanwhile, you know, there's not nearly enough coverage about what's happening, you know, to other parts of the Trump agenda that is that are in many ways hurting workers. You know, he he, you know, rolled back these rules that would have extended overtime pay to millions more workers. He scrapped this rule that would have required Wall Street firms to act in workers' best interests in their 401k. So there isn't enough coverage about some of the basic things that are going on while there's so much of a spotlight trained on Donald Trump. And what do you blame this on? I blame it on several things. One, you know, there's been a great decrease in the number of workers, of, of, of reporters, journalists covering work and workers and labor over the past decade or two, as we've seen newsrooms shrink. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit that labor isn't as sexy a beat as covering the local baseball team or covering Beyonce. Um, so, you know, I think we need more people covering labor. And those who cover labor and workers, they often focus on the, sex, the, the sexier stories like Uber and Lyft. You know, how are, you know, how are their drivers doing? Should they be considered employees or uh, independent contractors? Or there'll understandably be coverage of a big strike like the Chicago teacher strike or the L.A. teacher strike or the West Virginia teacher strike. But there are a lot of extremely important stories you know, daily stories, stories about, you know, prevailing conditions that just aren't getting the attention they need. And I think editors have to step back and say, what are the important trends? What are some of the important trends going on with, you know, millions of workers about, you know, whether they're able to make ends meet, 
whether they're being hurt by you know rules making it harder for people to get health coverage, just very basic stories affecting millions of people that I, I submit aren't getting the coverage they deserve. You know, I'm wondering if you take in the climate coverage as a kind of another example of all this, where I think a lot of the failure of coverage, frankly, is a result of some spinelessness on the part of news organizations who still are afraid that covering this issue aggressively will equate to activism or will equate to some kind of political stance. And it's made a lot of them reluctant. And each of you, as you were talking, I had the same thought. I had the same thought of like, if we really double down on our coverage of Puerto Rico or of mass shootings or of organized labor, we're going to be seen as doing the bidding of one party or another or one group or another, which I think is just kind of fake. I think it's just journalism. But what do you, I, I just throw this open to the group. Do you, What do you all think about that notion that there's still this kind of fear of being seen as being an activist on these issues? This is Steve. I, I totally agree with you, Kyle. I, I think that some news organizations worry that if they cover gun violence aggressively and maybe they need to do more about guns or cover climate change more aggressively or cover, you know, well, American workers don't have it as good as Donald Trump says and, and you know, labor unions are trying to go to bat for them. You know, they'll be accused of being activists or, or you know, you know, in the pockets of environmentalists or organized labor or gun control groups. Uh, Puerto Rico is a more neutral. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let David discuss that. More neutral is just an important issue that's not getting nearly enough coverage. I totally agree with what David said. But, but I think Trump's initial response to the Puerto Rico crisis did politicize it. David? Fair, but I have to tell you, uh, picking up on what Steve just said, uh, I have sort of let go of uh, any worry about whether someone thinks it's about uh, activism or advocacy. It's not. It's journalism. But, but more than that, it is the human thing to do. That's what I come down on every time. You know, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. We were on the island this week. There was a 71-year-old woman with end-stage Alzheimer's who had been sleeping on a cot on rocks in her family's front yard because they had no water and power and they had been sleeping outside for seven days. She was sunburned. She looked miserable. I could not, in good conscience, get video of that lady in a bed and walk away and say, well, I'm going to tell the story. I had to do something about it. And before I could, one of my member of our team, who's Puerto Rican, who we hire when we go there, picked up the phone, called a friend who has an ambulance company, said, I'll pay for an ambulance. I think it was 400 bucks. Ambulance came and picked her up. Now, it, there, there is a world in which people sit down and they go, that was too involved. And I'm okay in moments like that because it was the human thing to do. Hmm. I got to say, this, uh, this idea about activism drives me crazy. You know, if you look at the coverage of the civil rights movement by journalists, or if you look at the coverage of the Vietnam War, I mean, those were that was very aggressive reporting that took a moral stance in the coverage. And is now both of those are now looked back on and viewed as among the best moments of American journalism. Tally, this seems to be so apt on gun violence. I mean, what's the other side on shooting people in schools, right? Right. One reality there, though, is that the the landscape that the caused by the gun lobby, basically the gun lobby's role in the landscape and the gun industry, 
its role makes it harder, I think, for journalists to feel that they can wade into that territory and not sort of encounter just a landslide of resistance. And I, I don't think that that's an, an okay excuse, but I do think it's why some outlets decide to kind of hew away from covering guns and gun violence. You made the point that you, you're you relatively new to the gun issue as a, as a journalist in terms of being really in, in the thick of it. But what has been your thought about the blowback that you guys get from uh, the sort of pro-gun lobby? I mean, is it is it taking you back? Are you surprised by the the intensity of it, or is it sort of what you'd expect? No, I'm not surprised by that. I expected it to be intense, and it is, of course, intense. I think we um, actually have a fairly good reputation um, with uh-huh. a lot of people who are pro-gun because we are so, so careful and because we spend so much time understanding how guns work. We don't make mistakes that I think a lot of other outlets make um, because we have so many people devoted to the issue, and I think that helps a lot. Um, But, of course, we get resistance all the time, constantly. And, I, I, you know, I expected that, and and that's definitely the case. But, you know, the things that have, have sort of surprised me the most are the lack of attention to the kind of bedrock issues um, around guns. I mean, the fact that so many small children and toddlers in America kill themselves with guns in a given year because of, because, you know, they aren't safely stored. Um, And, you know, the community that would really benefit from change there is the gun owning community. And yet most, you know, news outlets, even that might reach people who are more likely to have firearms in their home, don't cover safe storage. It's just not something that they will touch. Mm. And similarly, you know, a lot of gun, two, almost two thirds of gun deaths in the U.S. now are firearm suicides. Mm. Um, and so the people who would really benefit from more coverage of that issue, and obviously suicide coverage is tricky, but are people who are more likely to have guns in their home. But those news organizations are not really are not reporting on that issue. So David brought up sort of an approach to coverage, um, which is to focus on people and to focus on hu- the human toll of all of these stories. And and it sort of moves us now into what I would like to hear from you in, in terms of how, what do we do to fix this? Like, what is the kind of coverage that you would like to be seeing more of that's reasonable given the economics of most newsrooms that we're talking about here? I mean, most newsrooms aren't going to be able to devote a ton of people on Puerto Rico or on guns or on labor. But so how do you, what do you do about all this? Stephen, what are you going to say? This is this, Steve. So to answer your question, so what should we as journalists do? I think, you know, uh, we have to try to do the most compelling human stories we can. And that might be the 71-year-old grandmother in Puerto Rico who's really having a hard time because there's no electricity, or the, you know, parents of a Parkland school kid who was killed, or a worker at uh, McDonald's who only makes $8 an hour and doesn't make enough to support his family or her family and they, they need to work two jobs, or the teacher who makes $38,000 a year and that's not enough to support her family and she's also you know, working at McDonald's at night. And you know, those, I think, are very good, powerful stories, but unfortunately, sometimes when you do these really compelling human interest stories, some people say, well, you're becoming too activist. So you have to persuade your editor these are really important stories. These are what's really happening. And, and you know, this is what will really interest our readers. And, and 
so what if it appears activist? This is what's real. This is the truth. These are the best stories that we need to convey these important issues about Puerto Rico, about gun violence, about what's happening in the workplace. You know, it's funny you you talk about that because I was thinking what we need to do is depoliticize these stories. Right. I mean, we, we need to write about them without having Trump in, in fact, every other paragraph. I mean, these are these are stories in all of these cases just about people who are suffering or or sort of big sort of strategic issues that we're sort of grappling with. Somehow we, we need. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, to your point about Trump. So often, every time I do an interview with any outlet, they always say, and what do people, especially the BBC, and what do Puerto Ricans think about the relationship with the da da And the answer is always the same. I rarely ever have a Puerto Rican come up to me and talk about Donald Trump, ever. And, and I, think, I think it's something to be mindful of. I know he's the president, arguably the most important man in the world, and affects everything that happens here in the country. But when we go on ad nauseum about everything related to the White House, and we forget the 20,000 people who will sleep outside yet again tonight in Puerto Rico because of the anxiety and the reality of the aftershocks that are still happening. Right. Tyler, you have any thoughts on that, about the politicization of, of the gun issue? I mean, I, I think that there are there's so many stories, you know, even though we have the biggest newsroom in, in the country devoted to this issue, there's so many stories we, we can't cover. And I think that, you know, we try to sort of pick the most important aspects of the issue and to really stick with them. And I think that's something that we're able to do. It's a, a privilege to work at a place where, you know, primarily we're doing projects and, um, you know, investigative projects and feature stories, and we can take a long time and we're not chasing the news cycle in quite the same way. But I do think every news organization should have some part of their, some percentage of their staff where they just say, we want you to stick with this and really figure out the story, regardless of what's happening today on Capitol Hill. Um, what's happening in, in regular Americans' lives? And let's let's unless I forget, you know, there are groups that are heavily invested in the status quo. For instance, an NRA or, you know, some you know fossil fuel companies that will you know go out of the way to attack good coverage about gun violence or good coverage about climate change or good coverage about how difficult it is for workers. They'll say your stories are political, and we're just saying, you know, we're just journalists doing good, important stories. And, you know, kind of they're the ones politicizing what we think is good, accurate, fair, important journalism. Yeah. And Stephen, this point that Tali just made about just sticking to it in your time at at the Times, it, it's not always been this bad, right? I mean, it hasn't always the attention span hasn't always been as short as it seems now or or not. Or is that not true? Is that is this always been a sort of problem? Uh, as, as you know, as your podcast listeners know, you know we are in extraordinary times. We have a president who sucks up more news media oxygen and more attention and more concentration than any president in history. And it makes it hard to get the non-Trump important stories into the newspaper, onto television. So you know we, as journalists, have to push all the harder to persuade our editors these important stories, you know, we have to try to make sure that there's, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the of, of the evening news devoted to non-important, non-Trump trend issues. I don't know. It's frustrating because it seems like that should be the job of editors. It should be the job of editors to say people may not want to hear this necessarily, but I think it's important and we we should do the story. And there just doesn't seem to be enough of that in in my eyes. Well, I don't have a solution to this, but something I think about a lot is 
how much in a lot in big mainstream news organizations, reporters and editors are hesitant to run a story at a particular moment because they think it won't get any attention because of whatever else is happening. I mean, yeah. I feel like there's there are these efforts to kind of time big stories to the news cycle, and it just seems impossible at this point. I mean, I think if we've learned anything, you know, in three years of, of President Trump, it's that, that it, that things don't stop. And, you know, our, our biggest story of this year, probably, which we did with The New Yorker, which was an investigation into the NRA and its sort of internal financial practices, I think we published it the evening before the Mueller report came out. <laughs> and, um, you know, several people, you know, it was published online and it was initially going to go in the magazine, then it just went online. And, you know, that's when it was ready to go. And we considered holding it and we just decided to go for it. And a couple of people said to me later, you know, why didn't you wait? But, you know, it was a big story and it got a lot of attention and it prompted a bunch of investigations, you know, government investigations. And I think we were right to just publish it when it was ready. But I, I suspect that people are kind of holding their fire sometimes. Yeah. And you know what also happens is there's a sense that there, there is a false belief among news organizations that everybody reads everything that they do. So if you write, right. you know, David, right. if you if you cover somebody who's suffering as a as an effect of the of the hurricane, I mean, that that's that can't be the last version of that story you do because somebody may have missed that one or there you know there's clearly new wrinkles or there's new people and so I think we need to get out of our own bad selves and sort of realize that not everybody is obsessing about everything that we do so we need to hit these things again and again and again. One thing I think that would be good if more news organizations said that you you, you take some of the you know overarching issues faced by tens of millions of Americans you know. Maybe you know health. What's happening with healthcare? What's happening with education? Or climate change? Or gun violence? And you have either an editor who you know, leads weekly or monthly discussions about that to make sure they're being covered. I, as a you know someone usually interested in work, wish that more news organizations had you know assigned an editor to like help oversee and coordinate uh, labor coverage and work coverage. You know whether it's the minimum wage or how. Uber drivers are, are, are being treated or, or what's happening in the Chicago teacher strike, I think that would be very helpful. One issue that gets me and, and one issue I've discussed at length in my book is that, you know, in the United States, in many ways, things are worse for workers than, uh, than in any other industrial nation and in that, you know, virtually in every other industrial nation, workers are guaranteed uh, paid vacation, they're guaranteed paid sick days, they're guaranteed paid parental leave. Paid, paid maternal leave. To me, this is a huge issue. I think to a lot of Americans, this would be a very big issue, especially if they knew how much worse they had it than workers in other countries. But like, how does one translate that into a news story that seems timely and is tied to the news cycle? That's, you know, you know, again, I think if there are editors overseeing issues like health and work and climate change, they'd step back and say, we need to do these important you know, write about these important issues, cover these important issues periodically because they affect so many Americans. Right. Well, David, Tully, and Stephen, thank you so much. I think this is really helpful. Maybe we could reconvene at the end of this year and see how well everybody did. I'm not holding my breath, especially considering it's an election year, but but maybe. We'll see. You can read our ongoing coverage of all these issues at cjr.org and there, we cover them as well in our daily email, The Media Today. Thanks for listening. See you next week.